Much of what we read about in the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, is not just about the event or the person we see in the specific passage. Much of what we see is helping us understand something bigger than what we're reading about in the moment. When we read the passages of the Old Testament, we need to keep our eyes open for Jesus. It has been said, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. I want to welcome you this morning to the Central Assembly live stream. I'm pleased that you're here today as we continue our series, Jesus in the Old Testament. I'm thankful for those that are watching uh, locally and then those that are watching from across the miles. We're so thankful that you're a part of the service today. Uh, you might want to take some notes today. Uh, when we get in deeper into the message, there will be some, some comparisons or some things about uh, Noah and the ark that will translate into the New Testament. It'll be helpful for you to write those down. There will be a number of them. Sometimes when we see Jesus in the Old Testament, it's a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. Next week, we'll talk about the fourth man in the fiery furnace. That's a theophany or a Christophany. It's an actual appearance of the person of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And then there are types and shadows. Types and shadows are prophetic images of something still in the pipeline, something yet future. In part one, for example, we discovered David defeating Goliath was a type or a shadow of Jesus defeating Satan. Today, in part two, we find another type of Jesus in the Old Testament. This time we see the shadow of Jesus in the account of Noah's Ark, Genesis chapter 6. You can turn there. And as we begin, it's notable that Jesus compared what will be the last days of the modern world to the days of Noah. In Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 37, he says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. After Adam and Eve sinned and were exiled from the Garden of Eden, things began to deteriorate quickly and a storm of judgment was brewing. Separated from God by his iniquity, mankind was on a slippery slope. And it wasn't long before the first murder occurred as Cain killed his own brother. From there, we spiraled into the depths of evil and wickedness. By the time Noah and his family arrive on the scene in Genesis 6, beginning in verse 5, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. The place was a mess. The earth also was corrupt before God, it says in verse 11. And the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was 
corrupt. God's heart was broken. All the people ever thought about it seemed was devising new ways to sin. Whatever they could conjure up in their twisted imaginations, they would do. Doesn't sound very different from the day and age in which we live. I mean, according to who, W-H-O, you know who that is, they've been in the news of late, the World Health Organization, every year in the world there are 40 to 50 million abortions. That's about 125,000 per day. And that's not all. As a society, we're sexually deviant. Billions are spent on pornography every year, but the cost is far greater than what can be measured in dollars and cents. We celebrate homosexuality with parades down Main Street, endorsed and promoted by government officials, and worse yet, even some denominations and churches and pastors that have tragically lost their way. And then think about this. There are actually organizations that encourage pedophilia. Pedophilia is when an adult is sexually attracted to a child. There are organizations that promote this behavior with slogans like sex before eight or it's too late. We're a mess as a human race. We are preoccupied with the occult. We gamble incessantly. We drink and use. We medicate and numb ourselves at every opportunity. We are consumed with greed and promiscuity and selfishness and pride rule the day. We are hedonists and gluttons, and we are as materialistic as it gets. As the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. In verse 13 of chapter 6, God told Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. From there, beginning in verse 14, God proceeds to give Noah explicit, clear, and detailed instructions on how to build an ark in the middle of a desert. It was the first YouTube tutorial. Make an ark of gopher wood, God said in verse 14. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and pitch it within and without with pitch. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, and the breadth 50 cubits, and the height 30 cubits. A window you shall make in the ark, and in a cubit, talking about the window, shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories you shall make it. The ark would be a place of refuge for Noah and his family. Noah obeyed God and it would be to the saving of their souls and the salvation of the human race as a whole. Only Noah and his family would survive. While it's true that we're all descendants of Adam, we often forget we are also all descendants of Noah. Genesis 6 ends with a significant and profound verse we would do well to remember. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. We must not forget the role of faith in the life of Noah. 
In Hebrews 11, we read of the great heroes of the faith, among which we find our guy, Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, talking about the flood, being warned of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Saving faith translates into trust and active dependence. The kind of faith that will save your soul manifests itself in obedience. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Imagine Noah being instructed by God to build an ark in the middle of a desert. I mean, it's not like you can trailer this thing and haul it to the lake on the weekends. This thing isn't going anywhere until a whole lot of water picks it up and carries it away. Imagine the faith it took to undertake the task assigned to Noah by God. Now to compound the situation, I'm of the belief, and I'm not alone, that to this point in world history, it had never rained. In Genesis 2.6, it tells us there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. I believe rain was part of the atmospheric change that took place during the flood at the beginning of what would be a new dispensation. So let's try to imagine Noah in the middle of a desert preparing for a flood in a world where it had never rained by building a ship over 500 feet long, 85 feet wide, 50 feet high. We're talking about some 2 to 3 million square feet of boat. And keep in mind, this consumed Noah for decades. This, This wasn't a side hustle. This was his life for decades upon decades. This is what Noah did. He was dedicated to the task at hand. He believed what God said was true, and he believed it to the point of living it. Does that describe your faith? Do you simply acknowledge God, or do you obey God? Obedience, after all, is the true measure of faith. James said it well in chapter 2 of the book that bears his name. Faith without works is dead. Do your life and your decisions reflect a rich faith in Jesus? Or does your life and your behavior reflect the corrupt culture around us? What does faith look like in your life? That's a good question to ask yourself as we continue our series about Jesus in the Old Testament. Today we see Noah's Ark as a beautiful type of Christ. It points us to some truths about the person and the work of Jesus. Peter wrote about how God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. This verse suggests that while Noah was building the ark, he was preaching to the wicked world around him. God was making salvation available to all who would listen. And even today, God is still 
patiently waiting for others, perhaps you, to come to Christ, to come into the ark of safety and be saved. So let's take a look at some of the ways God is trying to show us Christ through the pages of the Old Testament. And in this case, the epic story of Noah's ark. First of all, there was only one ark. There was only one boat. There was only one way to escape the coming flood of judgment. There wasn't a fleet of ships or a multitude of ways or methods. There was not a choice of itineraries where you could pick your own time and date. There was only one way. The answer was yes or no. And for all but eight souls, tragically, the answer was no. In the same way, today, there's only one way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Forget religion. Forget human effort. Choosing Christ is the only place of refuge from the coming flood of judgment. Yes or no? And for the vast majority, tragically, the answer is still no. Another way Noah's story points to Jesus is the ark was planned by God, not by Noah. In the same way, the plan of redemption was born of God to meet the need of a sinful world. Salvation was not man's idea. It was God's. To that end, He sent His only begotten Son into the world to die for you and for me. Another way we see Jesus in the ark is that while God planned and designed the ark, He commissioned a man to build it. He didn't just plop a ready-made ark into the middle of the desert. And this is a picture of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The human element was necessary. The Savior needed to have a human body and a man's nature as well as the divine. God was manifest in the flesh through the virgin birth and only then was salvation possible. Another type of Jesus, according to Genesis 6-8, is that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah's salvation was by the grace of God. And still today, we read in Ephesians 2-8, For by grace are you saved through faith, And that, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And in the same way, we are saved by grace through faith. Another type is how Noah believed God's word that there would be a flood on the earth in spite of the fact that there was no evidence of this. Remember, they were in a desert. And he's building a gigantic boat in a desert with no way to move it. I can only imagine the neighbors. And today, in much the same way, we receive Jesus Christ by faith in God's Word. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you have not seen Him, you trust Him. And you rejoice with joy unspeakable. Much of what we do, we do by faith. 
That's why the Word of God is so important. That's why we constantly hammer it home. Read your Bible. Get your nose in your Bible. Start your day with your Bible. Why? Because according to Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Noah believed God, and that determined how he lived his life. Another reflection of Christ in the ark is that the ark had only one door. There was only one way in. And according to the New Testament, Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. What a beautiful picture, by the way, of, of, of one way into the place of refuge. That is Jesus Christ. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Another type is that the door had no dimensions given in the Bible. This is really interesting. Everything else is specified in great detail, but there are no dimensions for the all-important door. Many see this as a reminder that no matter how great of a sinner you may be, you can enter through the door, Jesus Christ. It matters not where you've been. It matters not what you've done. There's room in the ark. There's room at the cross for you. Your load of sin is not too great. Your list of transgressions not too long. You can come and you can cast your burden at the foot of the cross. You may think that you're too bad to deserve heaven. You may think you've gone too far. You've sinned too often or too many times. But know this, your sin is not greater than the blood of Jesus. In fact, one tiny droplet of His precious blood is greater than all our sin. The door of the ark is plenty big for you and plenty big for me. We just have to decide to enter. And then there's this. The ark had three stories. It's one ship, but it has three separate floors, three distinct levels. And it's a picture of the Trinity. It's a picture of the Godhead. We serve one God eternally existent in three persons. Another type, another shadow of Jesus in the story of Noah is that there was only one window in the ark. It was in the ship's flat roof. This meant from inside the ark, Noah and his family could only look toward heaven from the window. And it's still true. God wants us to look up in the midst of life's storms. God wants us to keep our eyes on Him rather than being overwhelmed and engulfed by our circumstances. Luke 21, 28 says, And when these things begin to come to pass, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, then lift your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. It was Stephen in Acts 7, 55, about to be martyred, about to be stoned to death. During his darkest hour, in the midst of his greatest trial, the Bible says he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up. He looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. The window of the ark was a skylight. Noah had to look up during the storm. 
And the same is true for us. Keep your eyes on Jesus, church. Look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. And here's an interesting one. God told Noah to pitch the ark on the inside and the outside with pitch. Genesis 6, 14. Pitch, of course, is a black tar-like substance used to cover or seal the ark. But this is the only place in the Bible where the word kafer, K-A-P-H-E-R, is translated as pitch. Now get this. Everywhere else, kafer is used, it's translated as atonement. It means to cover, to purge, to make reconciliation. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement, kafer, for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement, kafer, for your soul. The word atonement in this verse is the same as the word translated pitch in Genesis 6.14. It's a shadow of Jesus Christ's atonement for our sins on the cross of Calvary. He took our place on the cross and shed His precious blood in order to make an atonement for us. Once we are in Christ, like Noah in the ark, once we are in Christ, His blood covers us and keeps us safe from the wrath of God. Like the pitch kept the ark's passengers safe from the waters of judgment. We are covered. We are sealed. We are safe within a place of refuge known as Jesus Christ. Now how about this for a shadow of things to come? The call to come into the ark was a limited time offer. In the same way, God's call to come to His Son will not always be available. The door to the ark did not stay open indefinitely. At His appointed time, the door to the ark was closed. And once the door was shut, there was no opportunity to come into the ark and be rescued from the flood of God's judgment. Imagine those who were outside the ark when the flood came. Imagine their regret and their desperation. And that's why we're exhorted in the pages of Scripture to seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. The offer of the Gospel is a limited time offer. Once the door is shut, there is no more hope. Don't wait. Don't delay. Now is the hour. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Yet another type is found when God said, Rooms shall you make in the ark. In Genesis 6.14. Rooms here is, interestingly enough, translated as nests. And when I think of the word nest, I think of a place of refuge. The ark was a place of comfort as well as safety. And in John 14.2, Jesus tells us, In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. He loves us enough to provide a place for us, a place of safety, a place of security, a place of peace, a place of refuge. Another type or shadow is found in the fact that God Himself shut the door to the ark personally. 
And they went in, the Bible says, as God had commanded, and the Lord shut them in. That's Genesis 7.16. While the door is open, all may enter. While the door is open, you can come. But one day soon, the door will unexpectedly be shut. Many will long for another chance. I thought I would have more time, will be their pathetic cry. But it will be too late. One day soon, the age of grace will come to an abrupt end, and the time of judgment will begin. God will shut the door. Another New Testament shadow is that the flood was unexpected. The flood came suddenly upon the ungodly of Noah's day. Although they were informed and warned, they did not know the precise time and they were caught unaware. And the coming of Jesus will be unexpected too. Mark 13 says, No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son Himself. Only the Father knows. Like the flood in the days of Noah, Jesus will come, and it will be without warning. The symbolism found in the story of Noah's ark is not hard to see. The story grabs our attention, and it's worth thinking about. The day when the door will be shut is fast approaching. We don't know when, and we don't know how much time is left. But we do know the door of the ark is still open. It's not too late. Invite your friends and invite your family with you. Make sure you're safely within the place of refuge before the flood of God's wrath rains from the sky. The ark I speak of is not made of gopher wood. The place of safety I speak of is the person of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, Noah and his family were safe in the ark. And in the New Testament, the Bible tells us, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus is the ark to save your soul from the flood of coming judgment. But salvation does not happen your way. It happens His way. That's why twice, in just a few verses in this account, we read, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Five verses later, Genesis 7, 5, and Noah did according to all that God commanded him. You have to come his way. And his way is through Jesus. The ark of Noah is a beautiful picture of Christ and points to him as the place of refuge from God's coming judgment. The ark is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And if you're watching via the live stream, I want to invite you to pray with me. It's not too late. The door of the ark is still open. There is a way into heaven. The Bible says the only way is through Jesus. You can't come your way through the, through, uh, the church. You can't come your way through, through uh, morality. You can't come your way through good works. There's only one way, and that's by faith in Jesus Christ. And so I'm asking you this morning to consider this. The opportunity is still available to you, but it's a limited time offer. The door of the ark 
is still open and Jesus is the ark. I'm asking you to commit your life to Him. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm asking you to give your life to Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus, that means that you begin to live for Him. You confess the fact that you're a sinner. You acknowledge that you're a sinner and you begin to live for Him, just like Noah did. And you become a child of God. You discover the way to the righteousness that comes by faith and by faith alone. So if that's your heart this morning, if if that's what you desire, then I'm going to ask you to, to pray with me. And it doesn't really matter the words you say. The words aren't a magic formula. What really matters is what's in your heart. So if this is where you're at this morning, I would just ask you to close your eyes. And for you that already know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you agree with us in prayer as as people all around the world are are giving their life to Jesus? Lord, we, we acknowledge that we're sinners. We come before you and we confess our sin. We, we throw ourselves, as it were, on the mercy of the court. We choose to believe that the only way to salvation, the only way to heaven, is through Jesus. The only begotten Son of the Father, who came to earth and gave himself, shed his blood on Calvary's cross, so that there could be atonement, kafir, a covering for our sins that we might find our way into the ark, the place of refuge, Jesus Christ. And now, according to Romans 8.1, there, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How good it is to be in Christ. And Lord, I pray for, the, for those that prayed that prayer. I pray that they would make contact with a believer. I pray that if they don't know a believer, that they would call a church, a good Bible-believing church, and talk to a pastor and solidify their faith. Seal the deal. Tell someone that, that they've made the decision to enter the ark, to come to Jesus and be saved. Lord, we love you. Thank you that the opportunity is still there, that salvation can still be had, as we give our lives to you. And I pray that many would do that this morning. And I pray that in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.